0: I wonder what you think heaven and eternity will be like. Is it something you're looking forward to? Do you have particular images or ideas that come to mind? How do you feel about your future eternal home and the world to come? Last week and this Sunday now, we're looking at a couple of passages in the concluding section of Isaiah as we finish this series. And our focus has been progressively moving away from the events affecting the Old Testament people of Israel and onto the coming kingdom of God in Christ, and ultimately to the establishment of a new heavens and earth. As I was reflecting on last week's sermon on Isaiah 61 and chatting with a few people afterwards, I I felt that I wasn't sufficiently clear about the importance of Christians today living out kingdom values and serving God in this world and working to bring about whatever transformation they can in this life in line with the images and language of Isaiah 61. It is important that we're not so heavenly minded that we're of no earthly use. It's crucial for Christians today, for instance, to be involved in alleviating material poverty, proclaiming good news to the materially poor, both locally as as we do through the food bank and CAP and and globally as we give money to relief agencies. It's good for Christians to try to proclaim freedom for captives, to work to free people from addictions as we were celebrating last Sunday evening, or to free people around the world from modern-day slavery. And it's good to campaign for justice and to try to change corrupt systems and global practices that oppress poor and vulnerable. Liberation theology provides us with a helpful encouragement to do all that. It's just that I don't think that the words in Isaiah 61 find their ultimate and complete fulfillment in this world in a physical way rather they point us to the spiritual transformation and release that Christ brings and the total and radical physical transformation that will one day be experienced by by those who enter the world to come. The same is true of our passage today, Isaiah 65 verses 17 to 25. Again, it uses language of a physical transformation that connects to the experience of those returning from exile, and to some extent to us in our day as the people of God, but ultimately points us to the eternal kingdom being brought into being through Christ Jesus. I think there are, as with many of the prophecies in this book, fulfillment of these verses at a number of different levels, a partial fulfillment for Israel a partial fulfillment for the people of God today, and a full and final fulfillment in the world to come as we fully and finally experience all the blessings of living in the renewed creation. That's the hope of eternity that sustains us as Christians now. And that's what I'm going to try and help us to see more clearly this morning as we look at these verses in Isaiah 65. I suppose what I'm trying to address is the potential problem of being so earthly-minded or earthly-focused that we forget that we're made for another world. This current world is not our home. We're just passing through, as one songwriter puts it. That doesn't sort of let us off the hook with responsibilities now, but it does shape our perspective as Christians. So please turn with me to Isaiah 65 if you've not already done so. And I have I've, I've five headings for you as we work our way through this passage, thinking about the Christian hope of eternity. Here's my first heading. Heading one, Renewed Creation. Renewed Creation, verses 17 to 19. God, speaking through his prophet Isaiah, declares, See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. The people in exile in Babylon or the people returning from exile will have been very glad to hear that God was going to do something new for the city of Jerusalem, that his blessing was going to be on it rather than his judgment, that God was going to do something new for them as his people, that their weeping would end, that they could forget their suffering. But verse 17 is not just describing the rebuilding of the Jerusalem walls or the restoration of the temple. Verse 17 is describing a rebuilding, a renewing of the whole of creation. See, I will create new heavens and a new earth, verse 17. God is going to do something radical. He's going to transform this existing creation and make something new, new heavens and earth. That word new, hadas, is is used in the sense of of renew or restore, make new, rather than making something completely different. That, That would be making something new out of nothing. God rather is going to take this world and he's going to make it new, radically transform and renew it. He's going to fix the problem of sin. He's going to completely remove sin and its consequences from the world. He's going to take the good things about this world and make them better. He's going to to make this current fallen world into what it was intended to be. It's going to be such a radical and total transformation, though, that it can be described as a new heavens and earth. There will, for instance, be no more earthquakes or famines or wars, no natural disasters, no destruction by human beings, no suffering, no oppression, no greed. God's final judgment will have taken place, and all evil and all that causes evil will have been removed. We will have a perfect creation in which to live. And we won't even have to call to mind the bad things that happened to us during this life. Verse 17, the former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. We'll be so happy about our new existence that the old will fade into the background. We won't, for instance, be thinking about the way a particular person hurt us. We won't be thinking about disappointment that, that we didn't achieve a, a particular thing or gain a certain experience on earth. We won't be thinking sadly about how difficult it was to cope with a problem or with an illness. Rather, we will be glad and rejoice forever in what God creates for us to enjoy, verse 18. It's also worth knowing, though, that it's, it's not that we're going back to Eden, The new heavens and earth are not going to be the same as the innocence of the garden. God's God's promise of eternity is in a new Jerusalem as the fulfillment of God's plans and purposes in the world. God's story of salvation has been moving us from a garden to a city. We started in Eden, but we're going to end up in the new Jerusalem, the new city in which God dwells with his people. Hence why the language of Jerusalem in verses 18 and 19 is speaking about more than the original earthly Jerusalem. God's going to gather us as Christians into a community of his people living together in a perfect and beautiful heavenly city. That's always been his plan. Even before the creation of the world, God had in mind what he was going to do. It's not that he's been scrabbling to come up with a plan B ever since Adam and Eve mucked things up. Rather, before the creation of the world, God knew that he would send Jesus Christ to redeem a people for himself and draw them to be with him. And the culmination of that plan will be when we as his people arrive in the new Jerusalem, the new city of God, on the renewed earth. I think that's what's ultimately being referred to here in verses 18 and 19, when God says that he will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. Verse 19, I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. We read something more about this idea in the book of Revelation. Let me read some verses to you from Revelation chapter 21. One of the very last chapters in the Bible. This is what John writes. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. So he's quoting Isaiah 65. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a beautiful bride, dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among his people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. We are looking forward to a renewed creation and and a renewed and beautiful city in which God dwells. That is a reality to bear in mind right now as you live your life in this current world. Don't lose heart. Don't, don't get so preoccupied with this current world, with, with your earthly possessions, with jobs or friends or, or your role in this world, that you forget the next world. Live today in the light of a future renewed creation. And let that understanding affect our values and our choices. Here's my second heading, heading number two, eternal life, verse 20, life without end. This, of course, is at the heart of God's promise to us and our Christian hope and eternity. Life lived forever. Let me read verse 22, starting from verse 19. God declares, I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his years. The one who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere child. The one who fails to reach a hundred will be considered a curse. The Israelites, returning from exile, experienced some of this promise. You know, they experienced God's blessing rather than judgment. They presumably lived longer lives, lives free from, you know, armies invading their land and and killing them. But they never experienced this promise fully. They never lived regularly in excess of a hundred years, verse 20, because what Isaiah speaks of can only fully be experienced in eternity. It's only in the new heavens and earth that the sound of weeping and of crying will be heard no more, verse 19. There'll be no funerals to make us sad in the new creation. Life will never end. Once we step into eternity, we will will never again lose a loved one. Verse 20, there will never again be a baby or infant who lives but a few years. There'll never again be someone who dies in old age. Life will continue forever, without end, eternal life. There won't be... There'll be no fear or, or, or worry about, about dying. Death will have been completely removed. For those of you who work in hospitals or regularly come into contact with death, you know, the absence of death must seem a strange idea. If you're, if you're a doctor or a nurse, you see the reality of death in this world all the time. One of the hazards of being a minister is that I end up at a lot of funerals. So much, so much grief and, and sense of loss. No matter how old the person was, but, but especially when the person was young. If you've, if you've experienced the loss of a young member of your family, you, you know how utterly terrible it is. Isaiah is promising that that will never again happen in eternity. I, I, I think that all human beings know that, that death is not what we were created for. I, I think that's one of the reasons why people resist it so much. You know, in the developing world, we expend great energy and money delaying death as long as we can. We, we feel robbed and cheated when it eventually comes. Death, of course, was the result of, of the fall and of sin coming into the world. Spiritual death and physical death. God's judgment on Adam and Eve and on us as their descendants. To some ex- extent, it it might even have been God's mercy towards us to limit our years, not, not condemning us as individuals to live for the whole of this world's history in our, in our sinful and messed up state. And so instead, re- removing us from the tree of life, limiting our individual years to 70 or 80 or 90 or, or 100, so that our experience of this world and, and of sin would, would come to an end. But death is not what we were made for. We were, we were not created to die. We were created to live forever. Those who, who do not believe in God or I suppose don't believe in, in reincarnation have to believe that, that death is the end. You, you die and, and that's it. You just, just cease to exist. And very soon you'll even cease to be remembered. It's, it's no wonder that people generally therefore have so little hope. And often live focused on pleasure in this world and and are so desperate to cling on to this life as long as possible. The Christian perspective on death, though, is entirely different. Death is just the gateway in eternity. Death is the way in which we go home. Yes, you know, Christians are sad to leave behind loved ones and friends and family. Yes, you know, they often regret their departure But I've been at the bedside of a number of times of old and and, and godly Christian men and women who've been ready for God to take them home. They have peace and hope as they commit themselves into the hands of their Heavenly Father. They know that they are entering eternal life. They're going to live with the Lord forever. Forever. That's what God tells us here in Isaiah. Using poetic language that first connects with the people returning from exile, he speaks to his people today and prophetically explains that there will be no more death in eternity. Once we enter into the new heavens and earth, we will never have to leave. The pleasure and enjoyment will continue forever. It's not like eating... Uh, something really nice, you know, a nice chocolate sweet or something, and, or a beautiful dessert, and, and enjoying it for a few minutes, but then the taste disappears. Rather, the pleasure of being with God and the taste of being in heaven will never end. We will be given eternal life, fullness of life, the joy of life forever and ever and ever. The fun will never have to stop you never have to get to the best bit of the book and put it down. You'll, you'll never have to, to leave the party just when it's getting going. As Christians, God promises us eternal life. And that is a reality to bear in mind right now as you live your life in this world. Live in this world in light of the world to come. Life in this world will come to an end either when we die or when Christ returns. This life is just temporary. But life in the world to come will last forever. My third heading is Houses and Work, verses 21 and 23, Houses and Work. Often people have the mistaken impression that eternity is about uh, fluffy pink clouds, playing harps and singing all day. A bit of a nightmare if you don't like singing or pink, but uh, Isaiah reminds us, rather, that eternity is going to be a lot more physical than that. Take a look with me at verse 21 onwards. God promises that his people will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the works of their hands. They will not labor in vain, nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune. For they will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. Again, this prophecy was first addressed to the exiles who had returned from Babylon. And there was a sense in which they would build houses again and plant fields and vineyards. And there was a while when they were free from invasion and other people taking over their houses and vineyards, but the Jews, after the return from exile, never fully experienced this promise. There was nearly always an occupying force. Uh, life was never completely free from from toil or misfortune, and that's because this picture that Isaiah is painting, using the languages of houses in Jerusalem, is ultimately a picture of the new of our dwelling in the new earth. It's again pointing, I think, to God's promise of eternity. For life in the renewed creation is is going to be much more real and solid and physical than many of us tend to think. We will have dwellings in which to live. We'll have work to do. It won't be sitting all around all day doing nothing. We'll, we'll have things that we enjoy doing. It'll be... Um, you know, it'll, it'll be living a physical yet transformed existence. Isaiah is using language that first connects with the people returning from exile, and, and admittedly, I, I don't know just how literally we can apply this language from verses 21 and 23 to, to, the, to our future and eternity, but I think the Bible does suggest that there will be work to do, jobs to keep the city running, perhaps, or, or creation to look after and enjoy, the Bible doesn't tell us very much about the precise details of, of what the world to come will be like. We don't know what sort of work there'll be to do. We, do, we don't know what houses or dwellings will look like there or what sort of food, there, if any, there, there'll be to eat. But, but it will be a physical existence. And, and Isaiah, in the imagery of houses and fields and vineyards, is painting a picture of our future stability and, and security, of, of meaning and identity of purpose and, and, and prosperity. It, it's a reversal of the curse of Genesis 3. If you remember, when Adam sinned, his punishment was that his work of looking after creation would become painful toil. There'd be weeds and difficulties. But now in the renewed creation, work again will become easy and good. There'll be no more laboring in vain, no more toil, verse 23. Children and descendants will be blessed, verse 23. If you remember, when, when Eve sinned, Uh, Her curse was pain in, in childbirth and a problematic relationship with her husband. But now all that's changed. People in the new creation will be blessed by the Lord, verse 23, and therefore no longer under a curse. So, a Christian understanding of work, creation, homes, is therefore a much fuller and greater understanding than many people realize. It's something that's going to continue and be transformed in eternity. And so when you're in your office or your school or your ward or factory or whatever it is you're doing and you're thinking perhaps how difficult your job is today, think about what awaits you. Reflect on the promise of work without toil in the renewed creation. There will be meaning, responsibility, tasks to carry out for God. Jobs that fit exactly who we are and and what we enjoy doing. Or when you're sitting in your house, as I sometimes do, maybe feeling a bit depressed about the number of jobs and repairs that need done, uh, or the mess that needs to be tidied up, stop and think for a moment about God's promise of eternity and a real home and a place to live that will perfectly fit who we are. No more having to fix things that fall apart. No more decay. No more need to set alarms and lock doors to keep possessions safe. As Christians, if you're a Christian, we are as Christians looking forward to houses and work in eternity. So let us not get so consumed with our current job or house that we forget that. Hold lightly to even the good things of this world. Live today in the light of of the houses and work you will gain in the future renewed creation. My fourth heading is God's Presence. God's Presence, verses 24. God declares in verse 24, Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. God promises his close presence with his people, his close involvement in their lives. God will not feel distant or removed His close presence will be with us. We won't be left wondering whether God has really heard our cry. God will be standing by ready to bless us, even before we have to ask. He he, he will be present with his people. One of my favorite bits in C.S. Lewis's Narnia stories comes in the book The Horse and His Boy. Uh, Shasta is riding his horse along in the fog when he becomes (laughs) conscious of a presence beside him. He's terrifying, but, but eventually he plucks up the courage to ask, who are you? And a large and, and deep voice answers, one who has waited long for you to speak. I love that idea that, that God is present, waiting for us to speak, eager to respond as soon as we look to him for help. Revelation 22 picks up on this idea of God's close presence. Let me read a few verses to you from that chapter. Then the angel showed me the river of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. It's a beautiful picture of, of blessing, of God's presence among his people, and of his daily provision for them, and his care and his protection. We won't feel as if we're on our own in the new creation. We'll never be left wondering where God is, or does he exist, or does he even care? There'll be no doubt about that, because God will be present to bless us. It's not that God isn't with us now as Christians. God is with us. He, He walks beside us all the time. These words are fulfilled in a partial way now in this world, in Christ, but it's sometimes difficult in this world to see what God is doing or to understand why he does it. There are times when I have felt that God is, is, is distant. Maybe, maybe you have as well. You've wondered why God has not granted your prayer. You, you've felt sad and lonely. It's felt as if God has abandoned you. That, of course, is not a true description of the reality. God has promised to never leave us or forsake us. He's promised to walk with us, during the storm, and to hold us upright as we stumble around in the fog. But in heaven, the fog is going to clear, and we are going to see God face to face. Before we even call, he will have answered. His presence will be that immediate. Right now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. One day we will see him face to face. We're looking forward as Christians to God's close and immediate presence in eternity. And that is a reality to bear in mind right now as we live life in this world. Don't lose heart. Don't doubt God's presence with you, whatever it is that you're going through, but instead allow your mind to look forward with hope to the day when we will know his love and care in a deeper and fuller way Live today in the light of a future lived in God's presence. My fifth and final heading is perfect peace, verse 25. Please take a look with me at this final verse. God says of that future day that the wolf and the lamb will feed together and the lion will eat straw like the ox, but dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain says the Lord. The serpent, the devil, that ancient enemy of God's people right from the garden to the present, he will be destroyed. The final pronouncement of the curse will rest upon him and he will be defeated once and for all. All evil will be removed from the world and creation will be renewed. Our relationship to the rest of creation will be restored and the curse will be reversed. Again, I'm not sure how far the poetic details can be pressed, but the imagery is of wolves and lions no longer killing other animals. There'll no longer be predators in the world to come. Human beings will not need to fear wild animals or defend against them. There'll be harmony in all creation. Perfect peace. If you remember back to Isaiah chapter 11 that we looked at at the start of the series, we heard similar language before in that chapter. Isaiah chapter 11 contains a similar and maybe even fuller picture of creation restored. Listen as I read uh, verses 6 to 9. Isaiah declares in that day the wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, the young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. All of us, man, woman, and animal, will live under God's rule and government. Order will prevail. There will be perfect peace. No strife, no killing, no tensions, no unsatisfied desires, no difficult relationships. Perfect peace. Peace. Perfect peace between God and mankind. Perfect peace between God and creation. Perfect peace between human beings and between human beings and creation. Shalom, God's peace. The Bible also uses the the language of rest as another way of describing such perfect peace. We will be at rest when we enter eternity. Completely at home, completely at ease you know uh, wrestling doesn't mean inactivity i can do some of my best wrestling while doing strenuous activity you know switch off as a hike up a hill or whatever it is but but that sense you know that sense of unwinding of release of tension rest peace isaiah reminds us that we are looking forward to perfect peace And that again is a reality to bear in mind right now as you live your life in this world with all its difficulties. And when you're feeling stressed tomorrow morning and you're under pressure, take a deep breath and and smile and, and look forward to eternity. Live today in the light of the future perfect peace that you're going to enjoy. Well, what a series this has been. We've touched on some great passages. But Isaiah 65 is a fitting conclusion as we've moved from the events affecting the Old Testament people of Israel to the coming kingdom of God in Christ and ultimately to the establishment of a new heavens and earth. Isaiah 65, I'd suggest, has given us five insights into the Christian hope of eternity. Renewed creation. Eternal life. Houses and work. God's presence. And perfect peace. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the promises contained in your word that help us to look forward to the renewed creation and our future home with you there. Until that day, help us to live well in this world, mindful of the world to come and sustained by all the good things we're looking forward to. We want to do what we can to live out your kingdom values in this world. But we're glad that in the end you will renew all things and take us to be with you for the praise of your glorious name. Amen.